0: Any of you here today. Um, but yeah, this morning, um, if you would take, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, last week we went through Nehemiah chapter 1, and, and we're looking at, at the story of Nehemiah, but applying it to our, our lives as, as a church especially, and how it is that God wants us to build, even rebuild the walls of his community, of the community of faith. And so this morning I want to read Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm going to begin with verse number 1 and read down through much of the chapter. I'll skip a few verses here and there. Um, But it says this in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine. This is Nehemiah speaking. I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in judah where my ancestors are buried so that i can rebuild it then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me how long will your journey take and when will you get back it pleased the king to send me so i sent set a time i also said to him if it pleases the king may i have letters to the governors of trans euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until i arrive in judah And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because, listen, church, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Can you imagine that? When Sembalet, the, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. We're going to come back to those guys in another message. Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. And then and then um, Nehemiah describes for us going out at night and going through the rubble and so forth and inspecting it all. And then verse 16 says this, The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king has said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Amen. And may God bless his word to us today. And I've entitled this morning's message passion turned into action. Passion turned into action. You know, for many years, I'm just sharing a little piece of my story this morning, but for many years during my teen and early 20s, I felt strongly that God had a call on my life for ministry. In fact, there were many times, I can remember even from the time I was like 13 or 14 years old, But there were many times that I felt myself at an altar, weeping before God, committing myself to the call of God, praying for the church, praying for the lost, for the youth, and asking God to minister to each one. And through those years, I felt very deeply and very passionately the need to reach others with the gospel and then nurture them in the things of God. I felt a strong desire in my heart to minister to the needs of those around me especially within the church, and to see them grow in their walk with Christ. You see, I had a great passion for ministry and a heart for the people around me, especially the youth of our church. My struggle, however, was to turn that passion into action. You see, I was reluctant, I'll say very reluctant, to commit myself to fulfilling God's call on my life and living out what I was feeling in my heart and it wasn't until through a, a series of circumstances after college, and I was already kind of out in the work world, um, that, but, but after a bit, I, I finally felt like I had to make a decision. And I finally began to take some steps towards following God's call on my life, turning my passion for the church and my heart for God's people into action. You see, here's the thing. I know I'm not alone in all of that but that such can be the case for many of us. We have a burden for ministry. You have a burden for ministry, maybe a heart for for, for people, a desire to serve Christ, a desire to serve his church, but you find it difficult to take what God has put in your heart and turn it into action. And as we look at Nehemiah 2 this morning, I want us to realize that God is asking us today to not only feel deeply for the needs of those around us, to not only feel passionately the need to build a strong spiritual community, that not only does God want us to be passionate about seeing lives restored and rebuilt and for the building of a strong community of faith, but God is calling us to act upon that passion. God is calling us to turn our passion Passion into action. And as we, saw, as we saw in last week's message, Nehemiah's heart was moved when he heard of the condition of the walls of Jerusalem to the point that for days he mourned over the situation. He prayed for his people. As we saw last week, I believe Nehemiah knew that the walls of that city represented the well-being of that city, its protection, its stability, its future, its strength, its honor. In this case, the walls represented the well-being of the people of God, this spiritual community, this, this, this community of faith. And thus, when Nehemiah heard about the condition of Jerusalem, that the walls still laid in a pile of rubble after so many years, he was grieved on behalf of his people. Nehemiah's heart was broken for his people. And so we talked about how it is that all that we do for God all that we do for his church, all that we do for people around us, all that we do for for the kingdom of God must begin in the heart. Amen, church? It must begin in the heart. A heart for people, a heart that is able to feel pain, the pain and brokenness of those around us. We're not looking to just go through like like, like the routines of, of doing church work or doing ministry or whatever it is. But listen, it all begins in the heart. And I would just say this, if you find yourself just going through the re- routines of it all, well, you know, I got to teach a Sunday school class. I got to, you know, work in the nursery. I got to, you know, work on the grounds, you know, or, or whatever it is. I got to, you know, I got to go share Christ with my neighbors. But you're just going through a routine. I think you need to just take a step back and say, God, would you first of all give me your heart? Because it all begins in the heart. Well, at the beginning of chapter two, let, right, we find that, Four months have lapsed between chapter one and chapter two. That is, it took Nehemiah four months to approach the king with the situation that was on his heart. For four months, Nehemiah did nothing but mourn and pray. But eventually, Nehemiah had to take a step forward if his passion was ever going to be turned into action. And we need to be reminded today as well that heart and passion never built a wall on their own. Do you hear that heart and passion never built a wall on their own passion on its own never changed a situation or brought any brought about anything new. It takes a lot more than emotion and tears to see lives restored and to build a community of faith that's able to bless the world with the love of Christ bring glory to God to nurture those who are in Christ. You know, there's a lot of people today that will say, I have such a passion. I have such a burden for this. I I just feel this so deeply. And yet they never do anything about it. I want you to look with me today at what this meant for Nehemiah's life and what it will mean for us today if we are to turn our passion into action. Especially today, in the midst of all that we're facing as, as individuals, as families, as a church, I believe, listen church, I believe this is a time. For God's people to begin to act. Amen? Come on, are you with me this morning? Those of you online? This is a time for God's people to begin to act. Not just talk about what's in our hearts, not just talk about the burdens of our hearts or what's wrong. It's not just, it's not time to just talk about the broken walls, but it's time for us to move into action. What will that? Re- require we see here in chapter 2 that first of all the work of building or rebuilding requires vision it requires vision you know when beginning to work on a new building the first thing that's done is the drawing out of architectural plans i see sebastian here with us. sebastian knows what it means to draw out architectural plans and those plans are a vision of what will one day stand on that piece of land those plans set the course for all the work that will be done, how things will be put together, the materials that will be needed, what the building will look like, how its various parts will, will be connected. You see, an architect has a vision of what can be. I'm, I'm reminded this morning that vision is the ability to see not just what is, but what can be. It's the ability to see the situations of life and of our world different from the way they presently are, what the future can look like. George Barna wrote these words, vision is never about maintaining the status quo. Vision is about stretching reality to extend beyond the existing state. I think of Martin Luther King Jr. in that that famous speech when he got up and he said, I have a dream. And what was he doing? He was projecting vision that the future could be different from the way it was at that moment. And you see, without vision, we have no goals. Without vision, we have nothing to propel us forward, nothing to motivate us towards change. Without vision, everything remains the same. Without vision, we'll never turn our passion into action. As we look at Nehemiah, we find that he was a man with a great vision. Because you see, Nehemiah, he was unwilling to accept the way things were. Oh, some people may have looked at at those walls in ruin and said, well, that really is too bad, and just kind of stopped there. Others may have said, well, it sure is sad, but there's not really all that much we can do about it. I guess the way things are are the way it's going to be. Some may have simply gotten so used to seeing the walls in ruin that they no longer saw the heaps of rubble. And even though they may have walked by them every day. You know, it's like when you walk into when you, when, when you buy a new home or maybe you come into a new church, right? And, and, and you see that wall that needs to be painted, the floor that needs to be straight, changed or straightened out. But if you don't take care of it right away, you know what happens. We get so used to it, right? We get so used to the disrepair that we just accept it the way it is and figure, well, that's the way it's always going to be. After a while, you never see the marks on the walls anymore. You never see the, the rubble, the ruin. But you see, Nehemiah was unwilling to accept the way things were. He was unwilling to accept the status quo as being all right. He was unwilling to get used to a wall that was in ruin and thus people living in disgrace and shame. But Nehemiah saw the way things could be. For in his mind's eye, he he could see what that city could look like once those walls were rebuilt. He could see beyond the trouble and the disgrace and the shame that the people were living in. He could see his people living as a strong, blessed, and prosperous people. Even as Nehemiah took that night tour among the rubble that that surrounded Jerusalem, I get a sense that in his mind's eye, he didn't just see rubble, but he saw a wall that was high and strong and firm and thus its people living in peace. Nehemiah saw not just what was, but he saw that which could be. And I would say to us this morning, church, how important it is that we as God's people that we would catch a vision from God to see beyond the way things are in people's lives, in the church, and in the world around us, to the way things can be the way God wants them to be. Oh, I'm talking about so much more than a so-called vision of a larger church or a nicer building or better program. A lot of churches talk about, what's your vision? Oh, our vision is for a great big building. Our vision is for, you know, more programs or whatever it is. No, this morning I'm talking about catching a glimpse of what it would be like to see men and women and children and teenagers having their lives restored, catching a vision of what it's like to see people's broken lives made whole by the power of Christ and the working of his Holy Spirit, a vision of people who are trapped in addictions being set free, a vision of people who are in depression and despair being released, a vision of families being restored, and a body of believers, a church living as true disciples of Jesus Christ, serving one another, growing together in their faith, uniting together to reach their world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, can we catch a vision this morning, Jesus' vision, of what it would be like to be a community of believers who know what it means to bring blessing to each other while bringing the gospel message to the world around us? Oh, I know it can sound far-fetched and dreamlike, but listen, vision always takes us beyond reality, beyond what is, and causes us to begin to dream and see what can be. And if we're going to build a strong community of faith here at First Assembly, we will need vision, a vision that comes for the heart of Jesus when he said, I will build my church. I will build my church. The second thing I see here through Nehemiah's life is that, the work of building requires faith, requires faith. Listen, whenever we begin any new work, there are always risks involved. After all, there are no guarantees in life, at, not, at least not from a human perspective. Right? Who knew we'd be dealing with a pandemic a year ago, right? Listen, when it comes to the work of God, however, we don't move forward based on risk alone. We don't merely do a risk assessment, but we move forward based on faith Faith in what God wants to do and is able to do in and through our lives. Faith in the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For Nehemiah, that meant, as we read, taking a step of faith as he went before the king. And normally the king's attendants and servants and officials, such as Nehemiah, they were supposed to keep their feelings to themselves. They were supposed to have what we call that poker face, right? always trying to maintain a certain disposition before the king. And thus for Nehemiah to allow himself to look sad before the king was a risky thing to do. It seems like he did it on purpose that day. When asked about his mood, Nehemiah went on to request to the king to share his heart and to, to request time away and, and, and resources and letters and so forth. And in all of that, Nehemiah was, was, was risking not only his job, his position and status, but even his own life. But after praying and putting all these things in God's hands, Nehemiah trusted God for help. For Nehemiah, it was not just about risk, but it was about taking a step of faith. And then I think about his step of faith as he began his journey to Jerusalem. For that journey from Susa to Jerusalem, it was a long and dangerous one. Because of that, the king gave Nehemiah letters of passage and a whole calvary. can you imagine? A whole calvary to escort him. And the point is, if Nehemiah was to fulfill the call that God had placed on his life, he was going to have to move out of his place of comfort in Susa, away from his position, away from all that was familiar to him, and get on the road to Jerusalem. He was going to have to begin his journey, even a dangerous one. It was a, it was a step of faith. And throughout the whole process, Nehemiah had to take steps of faith, putting himself and his own well-being on the line, trusting God for the outcome. In fact, time and again throughout his story, Nehemiah refers to the gracious hand of God being upon him. And in verse 20, he makes this great statement of faith that the God of heaven will give us success. In other words, Nehemiah was saying, this is not just about us. This task is not dependent on us. The success of this project and our safety through it all, it's all in God's hands. He's the one who's placed his burden on our hearts. He's the one who has given us this vision, and he is the one who will see it through to its fulfillment. Listen, church, when God places a burden on our hearts and calls us to fulfill a vision, there may be and there will usually be some risks involved, at least from our perspective. It may mean stepping into some unknown territory or doing some things we're not quite familiar with or ministering to some people we're not comfortable with. And we may end up on a journey that could be filled with all kinds of difficulties. You know, I know the saying says, well, the safest place is to be in in the will of God. Well, you know what? Sometimes in the middle of God's will, there can be some dangers. There can be some difficulties along the way. And this is where people, so many people get stuck. They have a burden on their heart. They see what needs to be done. They they have a vision that maybe God has dropped into their heart, but they stop there because they're not willing to move forward in faith. But I'm reminded today that if we are to accomplish what God has called us to do, we must move forward in faith, believing that God has called us, that he will be with us, and that he will be the one to help us. Do you believe that this morning, church? Steps of faith. The third thing I see here from Nehemiah is that the work of building requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Listen, Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't he first sit down and count the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish Now, I know Jesus was talking about the decision that each of us needs to make regarding whether or not we will follow him. For to follow Jesus, there is a cost. There's a price. It requires sacrifice. Jesus speaks about, about dying to ourselves, laying down our lives, picking up our cross to follow him. But the principle is the same in many areas of life. In fact, everything we do in life that is of any significance has a cost to it. You know that, don't you? A cost that we must decide whether or not we're willing to pay. Sacrifices big and small that we must make. I mean, think about it. Getting married. You say you want to get married, Ron? You're getting married in just a, just a few days, right? Listen, you know what? There's a price to it. There's a cost. I'm not talking about the cost of the wedding, right? right? I'm talking about the fact that when you, when, when you bind yourself to someone, you're no longer your own person just to do whatever you want and just spend your money on yourself. Wait, I'm not giving you marriage counseling right now, Ron, you know? You mean right? We all do. Or having a family. How many of us know that kids cost a lot? You know? <laughs> and not just money, but time and effort and energy. And right now my son and daughter-in-law, they're losing a lot of sleep at night. Right? Getting an education. You put in the time, the money. You, maybe you lose out on a few years that you could be earning money. but Instead, you're making an investment. Listen, as Nehemiah went out at night to inspect the rubble of the walls, part of what he was doing was counting the costs, looking to see what it would take to rebuild the walls, how much material would be needed, what kind of material, what would it cost. He was, build, he was creating the estimate sheet. And why? Because he needed to know what it would cost him and his people, and he needed to make sure that when he presented it to the people, that they would be willing to pay the price to make the sacrifices necessary. For after all, it would have been of no use to God's people and there would have been no honor for God should they have begun the work and failed to complete it. Nehemiah, in a sense, was saying to the people, listen, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to make the sacrifice? When it comes to ministry and many other areas of life, there are lots of starters, but not as many finishers. How many of us know that? Lots of starters, not as many finishers. Why? Because many people fail to take the time to count the cost. Or when they find out the real cost, they're unwilling to pay the price. They're unwilling to make the sacrifices necessary to get the job done. I want to tell us this morning that to reach people and to help them rebuild their lives, to step into people's lives, it can be a messy and costly endeavor. To build a strong community of faith is a costly business. It will require people like ourselves who are willing to pay the price of time, of resources, of talents, of energy. It will require sacrifice on the part of not just the pastors or a few leaders, but a whole team of people who are willing to get involved in the work of building and, or maybe rebuilding. I think about even the founding and the building of this church, Shrewsbury First Assembly of God, and the sacrifice of so many people who went before us. The sacrifice of so many people who invested their lives in making sure that here in this place, there was a church, a community of faith that would honor God and reach this community. Aren't you thankful for those people who've gone before us? Amen? Pastors and leaders and congregants. We're here today because of their sacrifice. Finally, this morning, the building of the wall requires a team. Notice how Nehemiah, verses 17 and 18, he worked to get the support of others because he knew he couldn't accomplish the work on his own. This was not a one-man show. Nehemiah had to cast the vision, motivate, build faith and encourage the people to join him. Nehemiah shared his vision with the people in such a way that they, too, could begin to see it. And the result was they responded by saying, let us not let you. Let us begin the work of building. And I want to remind us today that the work of the church is never a one man show. That most often it takes a team of people pulling together, sharing a vision, working together. That's why the Apostle Paul speaks about the church as a body, one body with each member doing his or her part for the good of the whole. And we're going to see this played out next week in chapter 3. But notice again, they say, let us Begin the work of building. And I'm afraid there's too many places, too many churches, where the people are pointing at the pastor or they're pointing at a couple of key leaders and they're saying, let you do the work of building. Listen, that's too much of a weight for me or Pastor Carlos or Pastor Guy or our board, right? But we need to be able to say, let us do the work of building. Can someone say amen this morning? Come on, let us do the work of building. Praise the Lord. And so, you know, many are saying that the church today is in a difficult place, what with COVID and all that's happening in our society, all that's happening in people's lives today. How many of us know that things have only gotten more and more complicated as time has gone on? And people are facing greater and greater difficulties. And even churches today are facing great difficulties. And so I believe that more than ever before, there's a need for those within the body of Christ who allow a passion to stir up in their heart and then do all that's necessary to turn that passion into action. The call today is church. Let's turn our passion into action. Amen. And so I ask you this morning, what burden has God placed on your heart? Children, ministry to teens, evangelism, reaching the poor, the work of missions. We can go on and on. Listen, there's so many people that through the years they would come into my office and they would say, Pastor, Pastor, I have such a burden to reach our town. I have such a burden for our neighbors. I have such a, a burden, you know, for our youth or, or whatever it might be. And then they kind of want to take their burden and drop it on my desk. So now you've got to do something about it. But here's the thing. Whatever God has placed on your heart, that might be his call in your life. And it just might be that he's calling you even today to put your passion into action. As I was praying over this message, I was praying for some of our young people because I remember what it was like to be a teenager and a a young adult struggling with God's call on my life. And I even had people around me, even in my own family, saying, no, 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 don't go that way. It's too hard. I was praying for some of our young people. I've had those through the years. They've come to me. Pastor, I feel God's calling me. And yet just a few years later, you find them going in a totally different direction. I'm praying that maybe some of them, God's going to continue to chase them down and draw them into his call for their life. I know that just about all of us here would say, yes, we want to see Shrewsbury First Assembly be a strong community of faith. We want to see people's lives blessed, filled with peace and grace and prosperity, as it were. We want to see people's lives restored and the gospel go forth from this place. And so I would say to us this morning, let's allow what God does in our hearts to be expressed through what we do, through what we do. I close with this this morning. As I was praying yesterday over this message, um, this scripture came to my mind, very familiar to to us, but it came to my mind in context with what I'm speaking about today. That God so loved the world, that's his passion. God so loved the world. See, God loves each one of us. If you're here, you're out there, um, watching this by YouTube, And you don't know this, I want you to know God loves you. God so loved the world. He has a passion for you. And his vision, I'm going to skip to the end of the verse, is that they would not perish but have eternal life. That's his vision for your life, that you wouldn't perish, that you wouldn't go into eternity without him, that you wouldn't come under judgment, but instead that you would be in relationship with him, that you would have eternal life, that you would live with him forever. God so loved the world, his passion, his vision, eternal life, his action. He gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God has done for us what he's asking us to do. God has a vision for your life and for mine that caused him to act. A, a great act of sacrifice, giving his one and only son, Jesus. A great act of sacrifice, laying his life down on a cross that you and I would have the opportunity to know God as our Heavenly Father, to have all of our sin forgiven, to know eternal life. I challenge you today, if you've not yet taken a step of faith towards God, if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and and Savior of your life. I challenge you to take that step. I call you this morning to take that step, to know that God loves you so much that he gave his all for you. He gave his all for you. His heart, his passion is for you. And so he took action. He took action. And won't you receive what God has done for you? Won't you put your faith in all that God has done for you? through the giving of his son, Jesus. So church, let's not get stuck just talking about burden and what we think ought to be done and all those things, but let's be people who will turn our passion into action, even as God, our heavenly father, turned his passion into action for us. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer as the worship team comes?